people live such lean lives, seeing that they are out of fellowship with their Heavenly Father. You see, forgiveness and having a forgiving attitude are musts. And again, I repeat in Mark chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, tells us that God's willingness to forgive us is limited by our willingness or unwillingness to forgive others. Folks, that's an awesome thought. If I'm not willing to forgive others, God's not going to forgive me. That's awesome. Brother Spellman, I'm going to turn it back to you. Thank you, Brother Zoner. Appreciate the thoughts indeed. And so we'll discuss only a bare minimum of those tonight and tomorrow night. But forgiveness and having a forgiving attitude is a must. How do I know? Because Jesus said, if you will not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your, forgive your trespasses. Our Lord often returns to the subject of the forgiveness of injuries. If you ever study the life of Christ in a systematic way, you'll see that he returned to that subject many, many times. And I asked myself when I was studying the life of Christ, why? Why? And my conclusion was this, because our lives are so full of injuries, both real and supposed, given and received. You see, because thoughts and feelings which injuries bring are so opposed to God. I'm talking about anger and bitterness and hatefulness and vengeance. Those things are so opposed to the will of God. In fact, forgiveness is the only subject that's repeated in the passage of Matthew chapter 6. Because it's repeated in verse 12. This is the model prayer. It's repeated in verse 12, it's repeated in verse 14, and it's repeated in verse 15. It's the only subject that's repeated in that passage. What this says to me is this will, Brother Zellner, this will be the hardest discipline that the Lord will ask you to do. You see, bitterness and hate and spite, and retaliation, and isolation, and ill will are the most difficult matters for the human heart to deal with. There's messages on all those subjects. Bitterness is so hard to deal with. You've been injured, or maybe you've just supposed that you've been injured. So hard to deal with. Retaliation is so hard to deal with. You see, if these negative attitudes prevail in my heart, everything else will be abominable to my God. I had a lady that was in our church. She's with the Lord today. When I was ministering here in Denver. And I don't know how many times she came to me and said, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't know how many times, but it was three or four or five times. 
she finally discovered what the problem was, and that was she was carrying around bitterness so much in her heart that she had determined she just probably couldn't be saved. That's how serious it is. If these negative attitudes prevail in my heart, everything else will be abominable to my God. Why did the Lord speak these words? You know, we go back to, or we go to the, the text that I read in Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 24, and we didn't read all that passage. But in verse 22 that we spoke about last night, he said, have faith in God. What's the Lord trying to? What's the Lord teaching His disciples? He's teaching some elements of prayer. In Mark chapter eleven, verse twenty-five and twenty-six, and I'm going to read this. And when you stand praying, forgive. You said, "Brother Zell, we heard you the first time." <laughs> well, I read. I've read this several times, and still I find it hard to forgive sometimes. Don't you? I'm not trying to prime you, but I'm telling you, as a pastor, I had a man that I dealt with, and it took me 10 or 12 years before I could forgive him, or before I was willing to forgive him. That's awful. And I was pastor. When you stand praying, forgive, if you have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you of your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. You see, when there is no forgiveness, there is no fellowship. And if there is no fellowship, there's no answered prayer. I'm thinking that perhaps, back to answering the question, why did the Lord deal with this so often? Perhaps every day, he may have heard from his disciples, as we read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And yet the disciples were at each other almost daily. If you go and read with me, and we won't turn to this for sake of time, but in Mark chapter 9, verse 33 and 34, they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about when he said he was going to have to die. Remember that? They didn't understand it. So the scripture said they didn't understand it. But when they got to the destination, Jesus said, what have you, what, what have you been talking about? What have you been, what have you been uh, uh, discussing? You remember, what, you remember what the answer to that is? Or was? Yeah. Who is going to be the greatest? Can you imagine? Now, none of us would ever do that, right? Yeah, right. These are his disciples. Who is going to be the greatest? It's no wonder they didn't understand what he was talking about. Is it any wonder why they didn't understand? And if you want to turn to that verse, verse 31, 32 speaks of that. Now, in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20 through 24, it's a very interesting story. This is how it reads. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children. And this mother was Salome, sister of Jesus' mother. The family relationship, if you can put it that way. And the companion scripture is in Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 41. She comes with her sons, who were James and John. And it says, worshiping him and desiring. And that word desiring is a very interesting word. That word desiring means plotting. 
There is a difference between desiring and plotting, right? Sure it is. Desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? Now Jesus already knew the answer to that, but he wanted to hear it from her. She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the, on the left, in thy kingdom. Actually, they took the verse in the passage of Matthew nineteen twenty eight. They took it literally. But Jesus answered and said, "Ye know not what ye ask." And if you read that in the original language, it's actually saying you're asking for yourself. What you're asking is very selfish, is what he's saying. You see, ambition had blinded both mother and son's eyes. And further, he says, the scripture says, are you able to drink of the cup that I shall, uh, that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm to be baptized with? And they said unto him, we are able. <laughs> and he saith unto them, you shall drink indeed. And drink they did because James died first, was killed first, and then John last. You shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. But notice this. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. That's interesting, isn't it? That moved with indignation means they were moved with anger. It's a strong, they're strong words of resentment. They were much displeased with James and John. Can we use our imagination a little tonight? Jesus perhaps stopped them one day in the middle of their praying. And I don't know this, I'm just imagining Jesus perhaps stopped them in the middle of their praying and said, Say no more until you have forgiven your brother. Well, Peter was the magnanimous one of all. (laughs) To Peter, he might have said, Forgive those two ambitious brothers, James and John. And I can just imagine that Peter could have held a grudge pretty, pretty handily. Well, this raised a question with Peter. (laughs) He said in Matthew 18, verse 21, How oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till till seven times? Picked a good biblical number, didn't he? Seven times? I'm going to have the eighth time. I'm going to eat him up. Well, you know know what what the answer Jesus gave, don't you? He said, I say not unto thee until seven times but until 70 times 7. You know how many times that, you you can multiply 7 times 70. That's 490 times. I believe if I forgive a brother 490 times, I'm going to really forgive him, don't you? What in essence that Jesus is teaching Peter is that you forgive him no matter how many times it is. How often we say in our heart, 
We don't say it to the person, perhaps we say, hey, three strikes and you're out and you've already had two. Do you ever feel, as I sometimes do, in shutting your mouth as you pray, until your heart is searched out, made clean by confession, with until a sweet attitude toward a brother prevails? You see, effective prayer is impossible without having forgiveness in our hearts. Now I want to talk to you, and again, just follow this up. Prayer and God's forgiveness. In Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15, it says, For if you, for, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will for, also forgive you. This is another passage. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I was, a meeting, I was in a meeting many years ago in San Antonio, Texas. And a man came forward during the invitation time and told the pastor, he said, you know, I've held a grudge in my heart for 40 years, 40 years against a family member of mine. I'm sorry, it wasn't a man, it was a woman. I've held a grudge against a family member for 40 years. She said, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to call him and we're going to straighten this out. She did, and she was an entirely different person the next evening. You see, God's forgiveness of our sins is contingent, as we've already read, is contingent on our willingness to, on our willingness to forgive others. God said, I'm not going to forgive you unless you're willing to forgive others. That's a strong, emphatic statement that's, been, that's spoken by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That same statement is both in Matthew and Mark's account of the gospel. Folks, and not that you are, but let me say it this way. We can't ignore it as much as we'd like to. I may be speaking to somebody, and I have no idea if this is the case. Hope it isn't. I may be speaking to somebody tonight that Spirit's speaking to your heart and saying, you know, you've been carrying this grudge long enough. Maybe a year, 10 years, 15 years. Maybe against a, an, an in-law, maybe against a parent, maybe against a grandma. They may already be dead. We can't ignore it, folks. Let us look, what is, let us look at what God, as what is involved in God's forgiving us. You see, there must be a consciousness of sin dwelling in us. We're not going to ask forgiveness unless there's a consciousness, unless we're aware that, that sin is dwelling in us. And, a, and an examination of our hearts brings sorrow. This is what David said in the psalm. Search me, Lord. Search me. That tells me that I cannot in and of myself really know everything that's in my heart. God has to identify some things for me. But exam, examining our hearts does bring sorrow sometimes, often in fact. Because we see our failure, because we see our rebellion, and then we're forced to ask, as Matthew chapter 6 verse 12 says, forgive us of our debts. And we'll, be working, we'll be dealing with that word debts later on in the lesson here. Contemplate the intimate relationship, and I've stressed this all the way through. This is an intimate relationship between your father 
your heavenly Father and His Son. I'm talking about you as a son of God. God is addressing His child. He's not addressing a rebel. That's wonderful, isn't it? When Jesus said these words about forgiveness and all, He's not... He's not addressing a rebel. He's he's addressing a, a son, his child. And we pray to our to our father, not to an unknown God, because our sin is against our father. You see, we we can sin against society, but we can also sin against God. And sometimes we don't recognize the fact that our sins are against the Father, the heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father who sent His only begotten Son who redeemed us by His blood. And sin, and when I'm talking about sin, I'm talking about disobedience in our lives. I'm talking about uh, transgressing the law of God, the principles of God. Sin demands our attention and awakens us to our, to our desperate need for forgiveness. Note in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 what it says. And I'm coming into the middle of the sentence here. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Folks, uh, you can only you you only can grieve someone who loves you. You can anger or annoy a stranger, but you can never agree. You can never grieve him. You see, our sins wound the heart of God. They grieve the triune God. When God looks down in your heart and mine, and He sees harbored sin there, the Scripture teaches me at least that it grieves my Heavenly Father. And so our urgent need is, and by the way, this, this sin is on the deepest level, by the way, our urgent need is for God to forgive us of our debts. And again, debts is going to be sin because we're going to show you in just a minute. You see, a major problem is whether we are conscious of sin operating in us. After all, we're saved. But are we conscious of it? Are we conscious that we're just sinners saved by the grace of God? Are we conscious of the fact that we can sin sitting right here in the pew? We, I can sin standing right here before you. But are we? And I'm not indicting anybody. I'm just asking the question so that you can question yourself. Are we? We're certainly aware of it in other folks. Are we not? <laughs> I can see where you're going wrong, but I can't, all, all the time I don't see where I'm going wrong. Sometimes my wife and I, we'd be talking about various subjects relating to the college or relating to the church or relating to another preacher or relating to something else, relating to a neighbor or whoever. And I'll just remark to my wife, I'll say, aren't you glad we're perfect? <laughs> you get my point. We're certainly aware of it in other folks. You see, our position that is being redeemed and sanctified is so paramount with us that we are careless of the fact that sin is daily within us. I'm saved. I'm redeemed. How can sin be in me? It can be. Jesus said it would. Jesus said it could. 
And the result of that is that we're out of fellowship with God. And out of fellowship with God means that we're miserable. We're in a miserable state as far as a Christian is concerned. When I was growing up and as a kid, I didn't call it this, but when I was out of fellowship with my dad, it was an enjoyable time. You see, what I'm getting at here, we sometimes overemphasize our position, which is no condemnation, justification. We sometimes overemphasize our position, and that causes us to fail to recognize our sins that leads us to a hardness of heart. We've rationalized that they're all right. It leads not only to a hardness of heart, but we but we are uh, we, we're not responsive to God. And this happens in church life. Pastors see this. Church leaders see this. Church members see this. A hardness of heart. And we become where we're not responsive to God anymore. Now, I say this from pastoral experience. The man that used to sit on the third pew, the fourth pew, I see him sitting at the back pew. He sat up here for years. Now, you can sit anywhere you want to. And I'm not condemning those of you on the back pew or those at the front pew. But in my, in my mind, I say, something is not right here. And the first thing I know, he's not there on Sunday morning. And then the second thing, he's not only there on Sunday morning, but later on, he's not there on Sunday evening either. And he's certainly not there on Wednesday night. What I'm saying here is a hardening of the heart leads a person to become where, to come to the place where they're totally, uh, they're not responsible to God. Not resp- responsive to God, I should say. Our lives are destitute of all evidences of God's grace. And even though we're saved tonight, you can get in that position. You can. I'm not idolizing sin. Please don't, please don't mis- misunderstand me. But David, one of the greatest men of God, committed adultery by simply looking at a place that he should never have been in the first place. You see, it's very common among us that we are doctrinally correct, but spiritually hardened. Most of you wouldn't relate to this, but did you know Bible college sometimes leads a person to to become spiritually hardened? Not because of the college, not because of the administration, not because of the teaching, but they become doctrinally correct, but spiritually hardened. You see, we do not recognize our sin. Oftentimes we don't. And if we don't recognize it, we don't confess it. And so often we are doctrinally correct with, with what? A cold heart. And a hardened heart. And a refusal to respond to the Word of God. And so it, we become a lifeless shell of doctrine, empty of any living fruit of grace. All because we do not daily plead for God's forgiveness. 
I don't have to pray every day, Lord, if I've sinned against you, I want you to forgive me. I don't have to pray like that. Because I know that if I've lived 24 hours, I have sinned against God in, in various ways. Now I want to speak about a, just a quick word here about the sin which is involved. The word debt. You'll notice in Matthew 6, 12, it uses the word debt. But in Luke eleven four, 4, which is the companion scripture, instead of debt, sins is the word. So we're talking about sins. Debt, the word debt bothered me a long time until I began to study this thing. That debt is not some gross immorality, but something more subtle and something very uh, more subtle and more serious. Our debts are our sins. We are indebted to God. We have moral and spiritual obligations to God. And I ask the question further, what else do we owe? And I refer to you, refer you to 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and, uh, 19, and 20 when it says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. <coughs> Folks, the, the thing that we... I don't know how to express this, that we live in and that we're seen tonight in is called a body. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? <laughs> but my body and your body is the Holy Spirit's temple. Doctrinally, we believe that, don't we? The Holy Spirit, when we got saved, the Holy Spirit immediately came in and, and set up a boat in our, in, our, in our bodies. My body is the Holy Spirit's temple. And so I owe my body from that scripture in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. I owe my body in all of its parts, including my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my tongue, my hands, my legs, my arms. And if I've missed any body parts, you add them. I owe my body with all of its parts. When I was attending college in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, our president, the late Dr. Lee Robinson, used to say, there's things that the Christian's eyes ought never to look upon. He used to say, there's things that Christian's eyes ought, or Christian's ears should never hear. I thought he was a little stringent until I learned better. When I was in Bible school earlier than that, some of my fellow students were looking at pornographic magazines on the newsstand. They were studying for the ministry, looking at pornography. And when, when confronted with this, they said, if we're going to preach against pornography, we've got to know what it is. You see, we owe all our body to the Lord because that is what houses the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, verses 12, 13, and 14, 
Paul said, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. So we're debtors to our bodies because that's within that framework is where sin is housed. But we're also debtors to preach the word. In Romans chapter 1, verse 14, Paul said, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and unwise. And I know you you say, well, that's a man called to preach. Not necessarily. We're all called to witness. We're all called to witness. And we're a debtor in that sense. We're all indebted to this. We owe our Father our day-by-day living testimony. We're so aware of sin in the center. Oh, we get down on his case. He's not trusted Christ as Savior. He's in an awful condition, and he is. But we're so aware of the sin in the center and the sin in our brother, oftentimes, but our need is to become aware of the sin in our own selves. You may say, Brother Zellner, you're... Uh, you're, 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 you're making us all feel like we're all just a bunch of sinners here. Folks, we're all just sinners saved by the grace of God. And these things are so important because Jesus kept coming back to these things of forgiveness. And so we must cry for forgiveness. You see, we must cry to be delivered from the love of sinning. Sin becomes loving. Our hearts must constantly deplore our its own corruption. You remember I read it, uh, Isaiah chapter 6 the other day where when in the presence of God, what he created in Isaiah, and he said, I don't look so good. I'm paraphrasing, of course. You see, our hearts must constantly deplore the, our uh, uh, state of corruption, but then it is in the heart, it, then it is a heart longing for holiness and victory. Now, I want to warn you, in my opinion, there's a hardness against this kind of teaching. There's a resistance to the Holy Spirit who points, our, who points out our sins. And too often, we just refuse to confess our sins. Is it any wonder that so many of God's pastor tonight, how, how well we're enjoying the good food that the ladies are furnishing? It is so good that we just eat too much of it. Somebody asked me, said, what kind of pie do you like? I said, hot or cold? <laughs> Let's see, tomorrow night we're going to be looking at uh, two more elements. And that's prayer and pleading and prayer in seclusion. The second session this evening is again going to come from 11th chapter, but it's going to come from the 11th chapter of the book of Mark, verses 25 and 26, and it's a, this is another element of prayer. And I hope that I can challenge you to, if you don't already, from the first session, to actually schedule a time for prayer in your 24 hours sometime. When you try that, 
you will be utterly amazed of how difficult it will to keep that schedule. Things will come up. <laughs> oh, it's amazing what will happen. But try scheduling prayer. Like I said, we schedule other things that are a lot less important than praying. But try scheduling prayer. But it is costly. This subject here this evening, the last session, will be a prayer and a willingness to forgive. Mark eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus said, When you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any. He didn't say just brothers and sisters in Christ. He said, if you have aught against any. That your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your, your trespasses. But, and that little conjunction word, but, is very important. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. That's a scary statement, really, isn't it? I hope that by this time that we've already, and perhaps even before I got here, of course, that you're seeing that you're seeing that educate that prayer is an education. Prayer is a discipline. Prayer is a great undertaking. Prayer is a large achievement. And as with any science or, or art, prayer has its means or its ways by which the proper ends can be secured. Prayer is not just the ability to talk. 